Okay, Boker Tov, everyone. Boker Tov, Boker Tov, Boker Tov. We're learning the Chumash, in memory of Chena, Bas, Shmuel, your site today. And we're in the sixth Aliyah. And what's unique about the sixth Aliyah, Parshas Bahalotcha, very unique, as this Aliyah, according, uh, this, the, these next few verses, according to the Talmud, in one place in the Talmud it says that these next few verses are actually considered their own entire book of the Torah. So it's verse number, through verse number 36. There's number 35 and 36. The next two verses, you hear this? Is an entire book. So that means so far we've been in the book of Numbers, which is book number four. Now we're starting book number five. Two verses later, we begin book number six. And then Deuteronomy, book number seven. And that would equal a total of seven books of the Torah. And this is the famous reading that we say whenever we open up the ark in the shul, whenever we open up the ark um, to take out the Torahs, this is what we say. Verse number 35. May your enemies be scattered. May those who hate you flee from before you. What does this mean, says Rashi? Whenever, when, it, was, it was whenever the ark traveled, the Torah made for this section dividing mark, marks, inverted nuns. If you look in the written Torah, you'll see inverted nuns on, uh, and, uh, before these two verses and after. Nunafucha. Why? In front and behind it, in order to indicate that this is not its proper place. This is not where it belongs. It would be more fitting to find a place in the section dealing with the march of the people in chapter 2, after verse 17. But why then is it written here? Why did they put it, God, God wanted here? In order to make a break between the narrative on, of one punishment and that of another punishment, etc. As stated in the Talmudic chapter, commencing with Kol Kodesh. In other words, because right after this section, these two verses, is going to talk about uh, punishment that came to the Jewish people for um, what uh, they're desiring uh, the, 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 the meat, and so on and so forth. So he wanted to separate between the two. That's why it made a stop here. Um, we have to look into what the first uh, negative, uh, the punishment would have been for. But I know that it was not, it was, it was disparagingly about Jews, and God didn't want to speak disparagingly about Jews when they only brought one Paschal lamb throughout the entire 40 years that they were in the desert. Um, they only kept the Passover once. Technically, they didn't have to keep the Passover until they got to Israel. It's hard to find a lamb in the middle of the desert. Oh, they had plenty of animals. They came out of Egypt. They were, they were loaded up. But the thing is, they weren't required to until they got to Israel. But the Rebbe makes the point that still they could have asked God to give them a dispensation. And why? Because they didn't ask God to give the dispensation, it was considered to be a fault. Because those Jews that did ask for a dispensation, when they couldn't bring it, God said you could have a second Passover. So we see that a few Jews that couldn't be part of the only one Passover that they had, that missed it, asked for a second chance, and they got the second chance. So if all the Jews would ask for a second chance, no, not the second chance, to be able to bring it every year, they would have had another uh, 39 years of Passover lambs uh, brought every year. So perhaps it means that uh, it's referring to that. Okay, moving right along. Um, so, so we're saying now, whenever the ark went, um, 
God, Moshe would say, Kuma Hashem vecha misanecha mipanecha. And um, what does that mean? Stop, O Eternal, says Rashi, because he had preceded them by a distance of three days' travel. Remember, this was the ark that had the broken tablets. The ark that had the full tablets, non broken ones, was in the midst of the camp. Moshe says, Stop and wait for us and do not move on any further. I found this in the Midrash Tanchuma Vayakal. So, Moshe would tell the ark that was ahead of them, it would flatten out, it would flatten the curve of the uh, different mountains and scorpions and, and, and allow for the Jews to walk flat. And he'd say, Moshe would say, Stop, O Eternal, may your enemies be scattered. In other words, those enemies who are assembled for battle and may those who hate you flee from before you. This refers to the pursuing animals and, and enemies, those actually engaged in battle. So there were those enemies who assembled for battle and those that were actually in battle. Both of them should First, to those two categories, those who hate you, those, these are those who hate Israel. By the way, this is just to give you a little inkling. Anyone that you see today that hates Israel really hates God. Those who, though, these are those who hate Israel because whoever hates Israel hate him who spoke and the world came into existence. As it is said in Psalms 83, which I believe we read today for day number 17, those who hate you have raised their heads. And who are these that hate you? The next verse states this. Against your nation, they conspire secretly. It says, So if you hate Israel, you hate the Jews, you hate God. Sim- sim- simple. Verse number 36. By the way, I want to share with you that spiritually meaning... When it was traveling in the desert, there was a lot of darkness there, klipot in the desert. The desert represents a place where man, representing God, doesn't reside. That is a lot of scorpions, spiritual darkness. And when the ark went through, it was like a, a vacuum that pulled up all the, all the sparks of holiness that were stuck in the desert. So it was the, also a spiritual reason they had to be in the desert to bring out the sparks of holiness that were, that were stuck there. Verse number 36, And when it came to rest, he would say, Rest, O Eternal, among the tens of thousands and thousands of Israel. Says Rashi, Rest, O Eternal. Menachem ben Sarek renders it the word Shuva by an expression denoting tranquility. Similar is in Isaiah, In tranquility, Beshuva and calm, you shall be saved. It talks about them when the Mashiach will come. We won't have to run like they did out of Egypt. We'll be able to go in tranquilly. Tranquilo, as, as we would like to say. Among the tens of thousands and thousands of Israel, this teaches us that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, does not rest upon Israel if they are fewer in number than 22,000. That's when the divine presence rests. And now that concludes book number 5 of the Torah. And now we begin book number 6. Chazak, chazak, finish chazak. Be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened. Verse number 1. The Rebbe asked... all these sparks... That they were the ark, yes, and all this holiness in the desert. Yeah, why did it take forty years to get into Israel? I guess part of the spiritual reason would be is that there was such darkness there that it took a long time to elevate all those sparks. That would be one of the ex- maybe spiritual explanations behind that. Listen, after we've been we've been struggling for thousands of years since then to bring Mashiach, which is when all the sparks are done, Mashiach comes. Although the Rebbe shared with us that the sparks have already been elevated. Um, when they left Egypt, they elevated a lot of the sparks in Egypt. 
And then in the desert, imagine they did a lot more. And then finally, thousands of years, we're waiting. And the Rebbe said, we finished elevating all the sparks. And now our job is just to greet Mashiach. So now starts the trouble. Initially, the Jews were supposed to go from here, from Sinai, pretty much. A few days later, straight into Israel. But, again, there are many reasons. The simple reason is that they sinned. There's a spiritual reason could be that they elevated sparks. But the simple reason is, verse 11 Chapter number, uh, chapter 11, verse number 1. The people then sought a pretext to complain, which was evil for the Eternal, to hear. The Eternal heard this and became angry. And the Eternal's fire blazed among those, among them and consumed those at the extremity of the camp. What's going on? It's very, very, uh, I would say this text is uh, doesn't really share the complete story. We have to understand what it means. What were they complaining about, says Rashi. The people sought a pretext to complain. The term ha'am, our, our news channels, <laughs> the people always denoted the word people, the people in the Hebrew, ha'am, the people always denotes wicked men. Similarly, it states, What shall I do for this people, la'am hazeh, yet a little and they will stone me? That was after the, 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 the spies came back. And it further states in Jeremiah, this evil people which refuses to hear my words. But when they are worthy men who are spoken of, they are called Ami. Ami means my people. So as it's said in Shemot, in Exodus, let my people go. Shlach Ami, or in Micah, oh my people, what have I done for you? So also the word Vayihi is also shows that there's a, a, a difficult time. The beginning of the book of Esther begins with the word Vayihi. So whenever it's Vayihi, it's Tsaris. Vayihi is Tsaris. Ha'am means the, the nation, which is wicked people. Kimis'onin, it means complaining. The next, all three words, the beginning of this sixth book, seem negative. That's why the Rebbe asked the question, usually you'd want to start a book with something positive. Start on a positive note. All other six books of the Torah seem to be, or at least most of them, have positive beginnings. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. But this one seems to be beginning with a negative context. And the Rebbe, actually, I'll tell you the answer. He says that the whole point of life, of the exile, is to try to elevate the negative. So the idea is that getting into the darkness and elevating everything, all down to the lowest level. And that's what this empowers us to do. The term denotes people who seek a pretext. They seek a pretext how to separate themselves from following the omnipresent. Similarly, it is stated in narratives of Samson and Shoftim and Judges, for he was seeking a pretext against the Philistines. That was good. He was trying to get the Philistines. But here it wasn't good. Evil for the Eternal to hear. This means they sought a pretext that should be evil in the ears of the Eternal. In other words, they are intended that it should they intended it should, that it should reach his ears and provoke him. Obviously, it's not physical ears. Conceptually, the concept, analogy. They said, Woe is to us how much we have struggled on this journey. It is now three days that we have not rested from the fatigue of walking. So the Jews are kvetching. The Eternal heard this and became angry. He said in anger, How ungrateful you are. I meant it for your good that you should be able to enter the land immediately. So he took them on this three-day journey. And here the Jews complain. And he, he, he basically and the eternal's fire blazed among the, them and consumed those at the extremity of the camp. What does it mean, the extremity? In other words, those amongst them who were extreme in lowliness, who were they? 
These were the mixed multitudes. These are the people that joined the caravan. These are people that were Egyptians or some, a mixed group of nations that left in the exodus. And many of them kept their idols with them. So they were the low level of the camp. Those are the ones that got in trouble. Many times they were the ones that brought up the problems. They were the complainers. They brought about the, the, a lot of issues. But Rabbi Shimon, the son of Menasseh, said it, was, it means that the fire consumed the most distinguished and prominent ones among them. So there's two different extreme explanations. The lowly among them, or did the fire blaze amongst the highest level of them? Verse number two, the people then cried out to Moshe, and Moshe prayed to the Eternal, and the fire subsided. It says Rashi, the people cried out to the Eternal, cried out to Moshe. A parable this may be compared to the case of an earthly king who was angry with his son. And the son went to a friend of his father and said to him, go and ask forgiveness for me from father. So God is the king, Jews are the son, and the Jews went to Moshe and said, Moshe, can you get a good word in with God? And the fire subsided, it sank on the very spot. Because if it turned along one of the sides of the camp, it would gradually have rolled along that entire side and caused more destruction. So God didn't allow it to roll away, just made it sink. Verse 3, he named that place Tavera Blaze, for there the eternal's fire had blazed among them. Verse number 4, now the masses who were among the people developed a craving, and again the children of Israel also wept with them, and they all said, who will give us meat to eat? Now starts the next complaint. First complaint, fatigue, too tired. Now where's the meat? When they had all these animals that they could have used, now the masses, literally the gathering. This was the mixed multitudes, the same group, that lowly group um, that had gathered themselves to uh, them when they left Egypt. The word is from the root asaf, to gather. The next words of the biblical text must be inverted to read as follows. By Yeshuvu, this means, and again the children of Israel also wept with them. So now the Jews followed this, this lowly group and started complaining. You know, these rabble-risers that start complaining. Who will give us meat to eat? But did they not have meat? Does it not say also a great mixed multitude went up with them and flocks and cattle? So they already had a lot of meat. You might argue that they had already eaten them. But when they were about to enter the land, it is not written that the children of Reuben and, and, and had much cattle. So we see 40 years later, they still had cattle. The answer is that they were seeking a pretext. When someone's looking to complain, sometimes it doesn't matter what you answer, they'll still complain. If You have to know if the complaint is real or if it's just a pretext. Verse number five, we remembered the fish that we would eat in, in Egypt, free of obligation, as well as the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. What is this all about? Says Rashi, that we would eat free. What does he mean free? What do you mean free? How could you say free? If you want to say it's free, if you want to say that, the meat, that they meant that the Egyptians gave them fish for nothing without payment, then I ask, but does it not state that you should go and no straw will be given you? They wouldn't even give them straw to make the, the mortar. And you expect them to give them free fish? Now, if they, So what does it mean? What they meant is that they were free from the obligation of the commandments. So the Jews were complaining that they, they were slaves in Egypt, yet they didn't have to keep the commandments, so they felt like they were getting free food there. So they, obviously they were being in a complaint they're complaining and then they said we remember the cucumbers that we had what does that mean Rabbi Shimon said that the manna could taste like anything 
So therefore, they had any food they want. They had this heavenly food, but it tasted like any. Sounds like shtick that you'd see in Israel, actually. Oh, what do you got today? I got chocolate. What do you, what do you got today? I got a cucumber. <laughs> oh yeah, it tastes just like that. Actually, but they, what they said was the only thing it couldn't taste like was a few different things, and that's what they complained about. The few things that the manna could not taste like. Why? Because they're not good for nurse, nursing moms. And so those objects that weren't good for nursing moms, they wouldn't, God wouldn't allow it to taste like those objects. Um, basically, again, some things do change in the person's body of the way it was thousands of years ago. So this might not be exactly the way it is right now. But they say you tell a woman don't eat um, garlic or onions because of the child, and etc. So basically, the kishuim, remember the cucumbers and the melons, I guess the melons also were a thing that the mana couldn't taste like, and the leeks. And basically, they, these were all the things that they were complaining about. Verse number six, we want meat, we want all those things that you're not giving us. Meanwhile, God is giving, took them out of Egypt, gave them everything they need, washed their clothing with the heavenly clouds, gave them the mana every day in the, in the well of Miriam, flattened out everything, gave, gave them the Torah, and they're complaining about leeks and cucumbers. So there you have it. For, let's go further. There's absolutely nothing. All we see is mana. Mana in the morning, mana in the evening. Verse number seven. So now that they spoke bad about the mana, the Torah starts telling us, defending the mana, God's bread. Right? You walk into God's bakery and you say, ah, all this, all you got is mana here. But the mana can taste like anything and you didn't need to go to the bathroom because normal food by man has part of it that cannot be digested. But heavenly bread was total, 100% digested. 100% biodegradable, that's, that's something else. But this was the total... Um, now the manna was shaped, this is verse 7, like coriander seed, and its appearance was like crystal. What does that mean, coriander seed? Says, and the manna was like coriander seed. says, Rashi, the one that said the previous verse, complained about the manna, was not the one that said this verse, which is God. God is saying the positive about the mandir. In other words, look, creations of the world. What are you complaining about, my sons? And the man is so, so good. You know, like someone has a product and says, my product is great. God is defending himself. Look at my kids. Look what I'm giving you. And this is like a coriander seed. And it looks like, and its appearance is like crystal. Um, crystals, uh, obviously, there's precious stone in Rashi. Verse 8, the people just strolled about and gathered it and it tasted as if they had grounded it with millstones or pounded it as a, in, in a mortar or cooked it in a pot or baked it into cakes. Its particular taste was like the taste of oil-saturated dough. So basically, it was not difficult for them to prepare it. It's like you, you want it to taste you know, fried, taste fried. You want it to taste this way. Just it, Basically, it was, uh, it was a blessing. As a matter of fact, the mana never went into a mill, nor a pot, nor a mortar, but its taste changed according to one's desire into that of the ground or pounded or cooked again. You could decide when you're eating it what you want it to be, baked, cooked, fried, whatever it was. And and it was was like oil-saturated dough, in other words, moisture of oil, uh, basically. So, um, and the rabbis explained explained its meaning of, of breasts as just as the suckling Im- imbibes so to so to speak every possible flavor with the mother's milk so the Israelites Ugh. found all the flavors in it um, so that's another explanation 
Another explanation is that the word lishad is a lishad is layish shemen dvash. So the, the basically it's an acronym. That's another uh, for kneading oil honey. That the mana was like dough kneaded with oil and smeared with honey. So basically, there are different explanations as to what the meaning of this is. Verse number 9, and when the dew would fall over the camp at night, the mana would fall on it. That's one of the reasons we have on Friday night and Shabbat day, we have um, the uh, bread, the challah, we put on a board and cover the challah because it represents the mana, which double fell on Friday. So we have two challahs and we put the... The breadboard under and the cover on top of it, just like the mana was dew below, dew on top. And when the dew would fall over the camp at night, the mana would fall on it. Ten, Moshe heard the people weeping in their family groups, each man at the entrance of his tent, and the Eternal became extremely angry, and Moshe also regarded it as evil. Now here's the next complaint. They were crying, says Rashi, weeping in family groups. What were they doing this for? In other words, the members of each family gathered together and wept, as to publicize their grievance. Our rabbis, however, said, so the simple meaning is they were publicizing their previous grievance. Our rabbis said, however, that, the, that they were, there means that people were weeping because of family affairs, because of the intermarriage of blood relatives that had been forbidden to them. So they just found out that intermarriage of, of family members is not permitted, and they were complaining about that too. Verse number 11. Questions. Yeah. Why do we break two hollows on Saturday if we only get two hollows Friday to represent the mana that was dropped Friday? Good question. Well, the two hollows that we got for Friday, one was for Saturday. It right, was, but then we bring out a second hollow to put with it and say the blessing right, on Saturday. Because essentially Shabbos is, is, gets the double, gets a blessing on Friday for the Sabbath. So it's all for the Shabbos. The reason why we get a double was Shabbos. So we would commemorate that both on Friday night, which is Shabbos. As well as Shabbos Day, because both part of Shabbos. So, but actually, if you want to really um, talk about it, the th- two meals, the three meals that we have on Shabbat, is because when it says that they went out to get the man, it says it three times. Uh, it talks about it three different distinctions uh, of them the collecting the mana. So we learn from here you're supposed to have three meals on Shabbat. Although on Chabad, the third meal we don't necessarily wash for. We have like just a fruit or something like that. 11, Moshe then said to the Eternal, why have you made the things bad for your servant? And why do you not regard me favorably that you place the burden of this entire people on me? Moshe's had it. It's like, this is a rough group. 12, did I father this entire people or give birth to them that you tell me carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries an infant? And you tell me to carry them like this even when they are in the land that you promised to their forefathers? What does that mean that you tell me? Says Rashi, um, where did he say this? Basically, God said, go calm the people down. And he, oh, he kept on telling Moshe, deal with the Jews. Even if they're stoning you and cursing you out, just deal with them. So you're telling me to deal with them and, 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 and comfort them. It's a hard group. Um, even though they're at the land, that, you're, that you're, you're, you're basically, you tell me to carry them like this, even when... They're in the land that you promised to their forefathers. 13, Moshe's complaining, May I and Lee Basar, from where do I have enough meat to give to this entire people for their weeping to me, saying, give me meat so that they may eat it. 14, I'm unable to bear the burden of this entire people by myself. 
for they have become too burdensome to me. Verse 15, and if you do this to them, kill me now if you regard me favorably so that I do not see their misfortune. That's what kind of leader is that? You know, a leader that sticks up for his nation says, take, take me, I can't, I can't do this. Um, Moshe became weak um, at this point. Um, and, and that's why it says you in the feminine. When God saw, showed him all the difficulties that he would bring on the Jewish people, he said, if that's the case, kill me now. I don't want to see all these, these, these difficult things that will, will, will come upon the Jews. And I don't want to see the difficulty that will go upon them. And um, anyway, so he actually said upon me, but he meant them. But he didn't want to say it, so he said upon me. Verse number 16, The Eternal then said to Moshe, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you recognize as being the people's elders and its overseers, and you take, shall take them to the tent of meeting, and they shall stand there together with you. So your, your, to, Rashi comments, to your complaint that you said that I can't deal with them by myself, um, I'm going to give you 70 helpers. But the question is, did anybody have 70 elders before? Why did he have to gather a new 70? Where were the original ones? Even in Egypt, he had 70 um, elders. It says, go gather the elders and go to Pharaoh. So there were elders in Egypt. Why is he gathering new ones? So the answer is um, that they died in this fire that we talked about a few verses before. Remember we said the extremity of the camp, the high level people? So that's them. Why did they die there? They were worthy at Mount Sinai. It says that they saw God and they ate and drank, that they didn't respect God while they had the vision of God. They were taking it lightly. They were eating while looking at God and they deserved death, but he didn't want to kill them then because it would be midst of the big celebration of the giving of the Torah. So he waited till this time. So now he gathered new 70 elders that you know that they, they were the police in Egypt and they were getting beaten on behalf of the Jewish people. Now it's time that they become the elders. Remember in, in Egypt, each taskmaster Egyptian had several Jewish police and they had to make sure that Jews got the quota. If they didn't get the quota, the Jewish police would get beaten because they had compassion for the other Jews. And take them with words. What does that mean? Tell them, Ashrechem, praised are you that you're now going to become um, leaders, um, appointed chiefs over the ch- uh, children of the omnipresent God. And they shall stand with you um, so that they sh- you should have them next to you so that the rest of the Jews honor them and say these are special that they got to hear from God with Moshe um, and therefore they, people will respect them. And then once you have them together, verse 17 says, I will then descend and speak with you there and designate greatness for the elders with the spirit of prophecy that is upon you by placing it upon them. They will then bear the burden of the people together with you and you will not have to bear it by yourself. Um, says, I will go down. These are one of the ten places where it says coming down in the Torah to describe divine manifestation. And I will speak to you, not with them, says Rashi, but then you take some of your spirit and put it upon them. Um, Moshe was like at that hour, was like a candle on a menorah and everyone was kindling from that candle. Moshe was giving to the 70 elders. Also, when you light a candle, doesn't you don't lose anything. Moshe wasn't losing from his own spirit by giving to others, right? When we give spirituality and help another yid, you don't lose, we're only gaining. Like this week's Parshas, Bahalotcha, when Aaron would go around and kindle the lights of every menorah, of every soul. And they will carry with you, he says, make a condition that you accept this 
job of being a leader, even though you're going to have to deal with um, on an understanding that they take upon themselves the burden of my children because they are troublesome people and refractory. They're not easy to deal with. So don't think this is all just a big honor. Just know going into this what your job is. And you won't have to be by yourself. That was the answer that Moshe's question. I can't handle this by myself. 18, and to the people, you shall say, prepare yourselves for tomorrow and you will eat meat. For you have cried for the eternal to hear, um, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For in this respect, it was better for us in Egypt. The eternal will indeed give you meat and you will eat. God was not happy with them. Just get ready, says Rashi, for the difficulty that's going to come your way for the, um, for the day of slaughter, basically. That they were going to get in trouble here. Verse number 19, not only for one, not for one day will you eat, eat it, not for two days and not for five days. Ten days or 20 days. 20, verse 20, for a full month you will eat meat until it comes out of your noses and becomes something repulsive to you. This is because you have rejected the eternal who is among you and you wept before him saying, why is it that we have to leave Egypt? Right? It's like a parent telling the child, you're crying, you're complaining, I'll give you a reason to complain. Uh, he's, he, based, um, what happened to these people? It says, Rashi explains, but even for a full month, this was said in reference to the comparatively virtuous, the good ones, who languished on their beds and only afterwards their soul departed from them. In reference to the wicked, however, it stated in verse 33, the meat was still between their teeth when the eternal became enraged with the people. This is a taught in Sifri. But in Milchilta, just the opposite is taught. The wicked ate the flesh and were in agony 30 days. Well, as for the comparatively virtuous, the meat was still between their teeth and they suffered uh, no prolonged agony but died immediately. The question is, which one took longer? What's better? The ones that had a, a, another month and died or the, mother, the ones that died right away? But two different opinions as to which, which one got the, 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 the drawn-out death and which one got the quick one. Until it, becomes, it comes out of your noses, understand this as the Targum does, until you will be disgusted by it. In other words, it will seem to you that you have eaten more than enough of it, so that it will come out and be ejected by the way of the nose and become something repulsive to you. Uh, this means that you will cast it away from you even more readily than you previously welcomed it. But in the work of Rabbi Moshe, the Darshan says, the word um, exists in language, the word Zara means that this meat will cause uh, the, uh, them their death. Uh, like, a, like a sword. The eternal who is among you, because uh, the latter, uh, if I would not put my divine presence amongst you, you're, you wouldn't become so ego, your ego wouldn't be boosted so much to get involved in what you're getting involved with right now. Verse 21, Moshe answered the people among, amongst whom, who, amongst who I am consist, Moshe answered, the people amongst who I am consist of 600,000 men, adult men on foot, Yet you said, I will give them meat and they will eat it for a full month. Moshe is saying, where am I going to get all this meat? Says Rashi, he was not particular. He said 600,000 adult men on foot. He was not particular to mention also the odd number, the remaining 3,000. But Rabbi Moshe, the preacher, explained that 600,000 is exact because only those who went forth from Egypt wept since only they could have said in verse 5, we remembered the fish that we ate in Egypt. And they who left Egypt are described as here as the number 600,000. But the ones that were born after were the additional 3,000 or whatever it was. 
he didn't count that number because they weren't the people that complained. It was the people that left Egypt that complained. Verse number 22, if sheep and cattle would be slaughtered for them, would it be enough for them? Or even or if, if even all the fish in the sea would be gathered for them, would it be enough for them? So Moshe is telling God, where are we going to get this, this, this logistics? Moshe is saying. Right? Just call Granger. Is it called Granger? What is... yeah, that's an old company, yeah. So, They're still around, I think. Are they logistics? Yeah. I don't think they were that old. I don't think they existed in the desert back then. They didn't incorporate. incorporate. If sheep and cattle would be slaughtered, this is one of those four things, biblical passages, which Rabbi Akiva interpreted in a certain way, but Rabbi Shimon did not interpret them similarly. This is similarly, Rabbi Akiva says 600,000. Um, basically, he says, is there going to be enough for all these people? It seems like Moshe is showing a little bit of, well, are you going to be able to get enough? Do we have enough in stock? So what, why didn't God get angry at Moshe for saying these words? Like God could provide. And then when he said, can you get wa- water out of this rock? Moshe got into heat and he ended up not going into Egypt. Uh, and he hit the rock, that whole story, right? So why is it then he got in trouble and here not? There was public. When he did it in public in front of the rest of the Jews, God was more particular. When he did it in private, just God, he was less particular with him. That's one of the answers. And Rabbi Shimon disagrees with Rabbi Akiva. He says, God forbid, he says the word, chas v'shalem. Moshe, that tzaddik would ever think the one that my faithful one in my home should think that God can't provide? So what does he mean? He said basically like this, you're going to give these 600,000 people food and then you're going to kill them? He's basically saying, are you going to be, it's like saying, saying to a donkey, take all these, these, these um, barley and then, then you go and knock off, uh, cut off his head. Does it seem right that you're about to feed them this, the food and then you're going to have them killed? So that's what he was telling them. So God said, but if I don't give them the food, they're going to say that I couldn't. Right? I don't want people to think that God can't provide. So he says, let them all be lost and not let people think for one hour that God cannot provide for them. Verse number 23, the Eternal then said to Moshe, is the Eternal's power limited? Now you will see if what I said will be, will happen to you or not. Rabbi Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Huda, the prince says, um, the dialogue took the following course. Moshe said, is it possible to satisfy the unreasonable? It, It is impossible to settle their argument. Since they are merely seeking a pretext, you'll never satisfy them. The meaning of the text is, if all the cattle in the world were slaughtered for them, would this suffice them? In other words, would they be satisfied with that? In the end, they will always argue against you. If you give them flesh of large cattle, they will say, we wanted that of small cattle, sheep. If you give them flesh of sheep, they will say, we wanted oxen. Or if you, we wanted wild beast, venison, and, and fowl, the bird. We want fish and locusts. Thereupon, he said to them, if that be so, I'll give them nothing at all. If so, they will claim that my power is limited. Moshe thereupon said, I will go and appease them. He answered him, Now you will see if my word comes true for you. They will not listen to you. Moshe went to appease them and said to them, Is there a limit to God's power? Behold, he continued with the words 
used later by the psalmist in, in Psalm 78, he struck the rock and water flowed. Surely he can provide bread and can provide flesh for his people. But they, the Israelites, said, this is what you have said is only a compromise, a way of satisfying us. He really has no power to grant our request. This is why scripture, what scripture means. Moshe left the tent of meeting and told the people what the Eternal had said. In other words, he told them the, the words used by him, the Eternal only uh, the, the eternal only with a different implication. Since, however, they did not listen to him, he then gathered 70 men of the elders, etc. 24, Moshe left the tent of meeting and told the people that the eternal had said he, that he then gathered the 70 men of the elders and people stood there around the tent of meeting. And the eternal, verse 25, descended into the cloud and spoke to Moshe and he designated greatness with his spirit of prophecy that was upon Moshe by putting it upon the 70 men, the elders, when they... Uh, when they, the Spirit then rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not continue prophecy. In other words, they got prophecy for one day. It's like when you go online, you get a one-day pass. They got a one-day uh, prophecy pass. But they only got that day. That's explained in the Sifri. But the Unklus says, no, that they never stopped prophesying from that day on. Two men, 26, two men, however, remained in the camp. One's name was Eldad and one's name was Medad. And the spirit of prophecy rested upon them. Now, they were also among those who had been nominated, but they did not leave the camp to go to the tent of meeting and they prophesied in the camp. And they were the ones nominated, but they said that they weren't worthy of this greatness. And they were, these were among them the people who had been selected to constitute the Sanhedrin. And they were all written... Um, written out. Fishacheshben, basically, if you think about it, how do how how do you figure seventy divided into twelve tribes? For all these were written down, mentioned expressly by their names, but the requisite number was chosen by lot because the calculation gives for twelve tribes six elders for each tribe, with the exception of two tribes to which of which there would belong only five elders. Moshe said. No tribe will listen to me to have one elder less for his tribe. What did he do? He took 72 tablets and wrote on 70 of them the word elder, and on two of them he left the surface blank. He then selected six men of each tribe so that there would altogether be 72. He said to them, draw your tablets from the urn. He, in whose hand there was, came up a tablet bearing the inscription, elder was set apart as a member of the Sanhedrin. While to him in whose hand there came up a blank tablet, he said, the omnipresent does not require you. So imagine after 72 people, two of them would be disqualified. Verse 27, a certain young man then ran and told Moshe, saying, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Who was this? Some say it was the son of Moshe, Gershom. 28, Yeshua, the son of Nun, who was Moshe's attendant, and one of the young men responded, saying, My master, Moshe, eliminate them. What does that mean, eliminate them, says Rashi? This is taken as the equivalent of destroy them, make an end of them. He meant impose on them communal responsibilities, and they will of themselves soon come to an end through the worry and anxiety this entails. Another explanation is that the word means put them into prison. He said this because they were prophesying Moshe will die, and Yeshua will bring it. Israel into the land. So Yehoshua is sticking up for his teacher and saying they, they can't say that. 29, Moshe said to him, are you zealous for me? If only all the eternal's people would, were prophets, that the eternal would be would put the spirit of his prophecy upon them. So Moshe was saying, 
Are you zealous for me? Are you being zealous for what I should be zealous? He says, for me, the word li means bishvi li, for my sake. Basically, someone that's trying to avenge for someone else. And that concludes today's lesson. And because we all learned this, we bless everyone here that we should all receive the prophecy when Mashiach will come, we'll all be on a certain level of prophecy and have this vision. Coming Mashiach soon. Amen. First class. First class on the clouds of Ingle.